Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. Buying a house in Charlotte became difficult and very expensive in recent years, renting an apartment has also become costly. We've been through a red-hot period in residential real estate, but now things are beginning to cool, and we're witnessing a huge slowdown in commercial real estate, too. But development is continuing with recent sales of property and proposed development in various parts of the city. And while some worry about the prospects for office towers in uptown, South End is booming. All of this is being driven by market forces and some of what is being steered by some of that is being steered by concerns over the future of the economy. There are whispers about a recession later this year. Are developers and business people just being overly cautious or is this an indication that the recession may be already here in some ways? Well, maybe some of these moves are part of a self-fulfilling prophecy. We explore all of this and get a business and development update with four journalists who follow it every day in this city. Tony Messia is the editor of the Charlotte Ledger and can be heard regularly on WFAE's Bizworthy segment on NPR's Morning Edition. Good morning. Welcome back. Morning, Mike. Katie Peralta-Soloff is editor at Axios Charlotte and a frequent contributor to our Friday News Roundups. Welcome to you. Good morning. And we welcome two newcomers to the program. Elise Franco is a staff writer covering business and commercial real estate for the Charlotte Business Journal. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks, Mike. Well, you're welcome. And Gordon Rago is here. He's growth and development journalist for the Charlotte Observer. Thank you for being here, Gordon. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Tony, let me start with you. Uh, uh, something about the, the, with something that maybe will capture our listeners' attention quickly, and that is the cooling off of re- residential real estate. If you were waiting to sell your home, you may have missed the peak, I guess. Where are we right now uh, in, as compared to uh, the height of the market when prices were high and inventory was low? And are prices still rising? Are they, still, are they stable? Are they falling substantially? Okay, so that's like five questions. I'll try oh, and yes, uh, get all of those. <laughs> okay, but no, uh, that's a great question. Great question. I mean, uh, as far as on the residential side, I mean, we are seeing the market cool. You'll remember a couple of years ago, you had situations where, you know, you'd have these bidding wars. Um, you know, you have uh, sellers who, who said, uh, okay, we're not doing inspections. You had people camping out for lots. Uh, it, it was, um, it was pretty, pretty wild. That's slowed down a lot. Uh, if you look at the numbers, uh, prices in the Charlotte region overall are still increasing. They're not increasing as quickly as they did a year or two ago. Uh, a year or two ago, you had year-over-year year, uh, uh, house sale prices increasing you know, in the 20 25% range. Those are now down in the single digits. I think it's around 8% in Mecklenburg. And you do have some counties in our region, uh, as we wrote this week, that, that have seen actual declines in, in house prices. Some of the more rural counties, uh, Lincoln and, and Cleveland County. So it's a very different time, I think, for residential real estate. Uh, at the same time, you, know, you don't usually sell a lot of houses this time of year in the winter. And so if you talk to real estate agents, they tend to believe, well, the, the, out, the long-term outlook is good, um, you know, and we'll sort of see how things shake out this summer when you have traditionally more houses on the market. So is the slowdown because of the time of, the, of year? Is the slowdown because people are tapped out? They've, they've kind of reached the, the most that they can afford for the house that they want? Or is, that, is it all being driven by the Fed raising interest rates and therefore with along with them the rise in uh, mortgage loan rates uh, in an effort to stave off inflation? 
it's really that last point. I think if you talk to real estate agents, they will say that these uh, interest rates, interest rate increases that we've seen from the Fed over the last few months, those are raising mortgage rates. They're making it more expensive to buy a house that's keeping a lot of potential buyers out of the market. Um, you know, mortgage rates now on a 30-year fixed mortgage are usually in the six to seven percent range. Um, you know, the, those are about close to you know 15-year highs. Um, and so, you know, the, the sort of um, you know, financing arrangements and what you need to do to qualify, uh, that's all becoming a little bit more difficult because of finances. Uh, Elise, uh, mortgage rates and credit card rates and other loan rates are not tied directly to the Federal Reserve's uh, interest rate hikes or cost of money hikes for banks, but they are loosely tied to them. And uh, there have been four consecutive interest rate hikes by the Fed uh, of 0.75 percent. They also increased rates again by a quarter point earlier this month. How has it impacted home uh, interest rates, home loan interest rates? Um, I, I can't really speak to home loan interest rates. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I would say it's, it's impacting real estate across the board. You know, commercial real estate has definitely been impacted. Um, and it, it's definitely given developers and, and brokers pause in terms of um, being able to lease spaces um, and and developers being able to, uh, you know, get the loans that they need to to actually get those buildings out of the ground. So just like uh, homeowners may be priced out temporarily of the house that they want because the their mortgage lending rate may be higher than they anticipated. The same thing is true of, of deep pocket developers. They want the cheapest loans that they can get as well. Is that right? that's right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is this the last of the increases from the Fed? Do we know how many more may be ahead? Because I know they want to return inflation to something like 2%, uh, and it's the highest it's been in about 50 years at the moment, or it has been. I don't think this is necessarily the last increase. Um, I think the fact that the most recent one was just 0.25% um, is, is a sign that maybe it's slowing and will eventually kind of plateau. Um, in speaking with brokers recently, they also don't believe this is the last increase. They don't believe that um, necessarily the rate is even going to come down soon, um, but it will happen eventually. Um, I think the I think the hope again is that that number is going to kind of plateau and flatten, and that's going to give um, developers uh, a little bit more of a security net in terms of knowing what what they're going to need to do to secure that money. So, Gordon, is, is the uh, slowdown in residential real estate primarily uh, in previously owned homes or is it in new homes as well? Because uh, how is it impacting the start of new homes, I guess, is the question. That's not something I've necessarily talked to realtors recently about. Um, I mean, I, I know when you drive around Charlotte, you'll, you'll, it's not uncommon to see those, those McMansions popping up across town. But uh, as, as far as new starts, uh, Mike, that's not something I've okay. recently looked well, into. Well, I don't know if there's any. Maybe t Tony or Katie, can, can you comment on that? I mean, is, are we seeing not just the McMansions, because those are, those are uh, high dollar people, who probably have uh, some some back? Uh, they have some backstop that they can rely on. But we're talking about starter homes and, and new developments. Starter homes are going to be of particularly high interest these days. Um, and I guess it de depends on your definition of starter home because it is a bit relative. But homes in like the you know two fifty to four hundred range are still getting scooped up very very quickly, whether they are brand new or 
um, you know, a few decades old. Um, I don't know what the numbers look like on older homes versus um, newer homes, but um, one thing that I think is really interesting too in some of my conversations with residential real estate professionals here is the number of homes that are being sold in all cash deals. Um, it's it's significantly higher these days than it is um, in years past, which means that there are both um, high wealth individuals coming into the market, perhaps from you know other places more expensive like New York or California. Um, but then you also have those um, like corporate owners, you know, some of the um, deep pocketed like Wall Street firms coming in and scooping up uh, dozens of homes at a time, um, which obviously hurts the market. Um, another thing I think is very interesting to watch these days is, I mean, not to watch, but if you're, if anyone who owns their home and has th been thinking about moving knows, um, you know, the rates of the last couple of years were so low that a lot of people refinance. They're kind of stuck in these like 2.5 to 3.5%. It's really hard to justify taking the leap and, and buying something where you're going to be paying like perhaps a few grand more per month. Um, so what real estate professionals these days are saying is date the rate, uh, marry the home, which basically means like you, the home is the long-term commitment and the rate is the short-term commitment. And you can always refinance your home if you end up buying your dream home right now for six and a half percent or whatever. Um, but that home might not necessarily be available to you in 10 years. Um, again, that is a very, very uh, in, like industry thing to say. Um, skeptics would say, you're still going to be paying thousands of dollars more per month for an indefinite amount of time. So not everybody can afford to do that. I don't we know also you... don't know that rates are going to go down and you'll be able to refinance in a couple of years. So that can be a little bit of a gamble. But as, as it relates to which portions of the market are slowing down, Mike, I would say, I think it's sort of across the board. You are at the lower at those lower starter home levels, that's where these higher mortgage rates are really kind of hurting. Because if you're buying that first house and you only have a certain amount of money to, to, to work with, and all of a sudden you're gonna have to pay hundreds more in interest because um, mortgage rates are higher, that that freezes a lot of people out of the market. Whereas you said, you know, if you have the backstop to be able to afford a $5 million mansion on Lake Norman, you know, you're maybe, maybe it's sort of all systems go for you. We'll have to pool our resources for that, I think. Uh, I don't know who can answer this question, maybe Katie or, or maybe uh, uh, Tony, but uh, both the city and the county are in this re tax revaluation process, property tax home assessment process, and that may affect your property taxes going forward. They're going to release that information in the middle of March sometime. Uh, are folks waiting perhaps to buy a home to see what the taxes on that home may end up being? Or could that announcement of higher uh, tax appraisals reinvigorate the market or create a downturn? I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to dictate someone's decision to buy a home right now, because in all likelihood, if you're buying a new home in Charlotte, um, the, the valuation is going to go up. Um, I think that that's kind of true across the board. Uh, there might be some exceptions in pockets of town, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to deter anyone. Um, furthermore, the amount of um, appeals on properties that we see every time there's a reval um, are quite high. And it's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a difficult process to appeal the new valuation of your home. You don't need an attorney to do it. Um, so it's not always going to be like a crippling amount more um, in, in most cases, but I don't, I obviously don't want to speak for all new buyers. As part of the slowdown in the residential market, Tony, developers are slowing down the pace of construction of new apartments. 
Oh, my goodness. Charlotte is on pace to have the slowest quarter for new apartments started in three years. Well, given the rent rates right now in Charlotte and the demand for apartments, why would anybody stop building them? <laughs> well, it's a good question. I think those numbers that, that you're citing, we cited those as the for, I think, the fourth quarter of, of last year. But it was, um, you know, we're very much accustomed in Charlotte to sort of nonstop uh, construction of, of apartments uh, that has slowed down. If you look at the number of starts, and that again has to do because it has to do with these uh, interest rates. Because developers, you know, they can't they typically borrow money to finance these deals. That borrowing of money just got a lot more expensive, and so even though the um, the rents are still high, the the numbers don't. You know, you talk to develop developers. In many cases, the numbers don't work, and they don't know what those rents are going to be in a couple of years. That they would need those rents to be much higher, you know, in order to make the deals pencil, as they say in real estate um, jargon. You know, to make the numbers work, basically. So, you know, it is a little bit of a switch. Um, you know, we still do see announcements of of new apartment complexes. Um, you know, but some of these it, it sort of remains to be seen when when they will be built. But you know, it's not like it stopped. We're, we have a whole bunch that are under construction that started. A year or two ago, we have a bunch coming online this year and, and next year, but um, certainly the starting some of these projects over the last six months has been a lot more difficult because of interest rates. And in fact, uh, a Chicago-based developer has plans to break ground on a high-rise luxury apartment tower this year in the South End near uh, South Boulevard and East Park Avenue. I only have 30 seconds here, Gordon, but how tall, how many apartments do you know? If you're talking about the one at the former Price's location, or are you talking about a different one? All I know is South Boulevard and East Park Avenue. So I'm trying to think where that might be. Uh, Sandwich Max. Okay. Do we know how tall, how many apartments? I don't believe that, that developers come out and talk either about the height or the number of apartments, but have has described it as high rise in nature. Uh, I think where it will kind of remain to be seen how high it will go. But if you look at other buildings. And with that, we have to stop. We'll come back with more in a moment at Charlotte Talks on WFA. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded, 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. We're talking about business and development and home ownership and apartments and, and more uh, around town and where they, everything stands given uh, the ons, the specter of recession in the future, which we'll also talk about. Tony Messia is here, editor of the Charlotte Ledger. Katie Peralta-Soloff, editor at Axios Charlotte. Elise Franco, a business and uh, commercial real estate reporter for the Charlotte Business Journal, and Gordon Rago, growth and development journalist with the Charlotte Observer. Gordon, there's another Chicago developer. That's why it was so confusing with that last question. There are two of them building high-rises, and one is involved in putting a 45-story residential tower and a 42-story office tower on the site of what I think was the old Midnight Diner in the South End. Are, are both those projects, given the slowdown that we're witnessing, are they both still a go? And if so, why are they moving forward with relatively large projects when others are pulling back? Yeah, we saw those plans announced, um, I believe it was roughly, you know, several months ago, uh, the plans for that project were announced last year. And the, the developer had to get site cleared they have to get midnight diner off the property and as we know midnight diner now 
is moved up the street closer to Spectrum Center. Um, so they, they were able to start getting sort of like the, the, the land graded so they could start construction. So a lot of that was, had been in the works for, for a period of several months prior to the conditions that we're, that we're seeing today. So, Elise, when you talk about commercial real estate, uh, what, what are they experiencing the same kind of slowdown that residential has been experiencing? And if, if not, how does it differ? They are. And, and it goes back to, like Tony said, that interest rate. Um, developers are, are really hesitant to, to take out a loan that's going to cost them, you know, so much more money than it would a year or two ago. Um, and and it, it's almost like post-pandemic, commercial real estate in Charlotte was booming. It was almost, um, you know, it was a little bit wild in terms of the the number of developments that were being announced, the properties that were being snatched up. Um, and, and it's definitely slowed. And I think that that's a trend that's going to continue. Um, we've got these buildings, these, these class A buildings in South End that have delivered and they're filling up really fast. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of open space as well though. Um, and so I think that people are going to start moving into those, those empty spaces. And, um, and that's kind of what we're going to see as the development kind of continues to stall a and little yet, bit. And yet, Tony, you've said that the, the, the uh, commercial real estate slowdown is particularly acute in the office sector. Is that a holdover from the pandemic with people just not wanting to come back to work and bosses letting them stay home and work or work remotely? Is that what that partly is due to? Yeah, I mean, that's really a big part of it. You're still seeing a lot of companies with you know hybrid work arrangements, work from home arrangements. I mean, you know, even uptown, the banks, you know, a lot of those are only back three days a week. They're not in the office five days a week. And so that's really um, sort of rippled throughout the, the office sector. Uh, you know, it used to be that when Charlotte increased employment, that, you know, you would also have the demand for office space sort of rise in line with that. We're still increasing employment, but the demand for office space is much flatter now just because, um, you know, because companies are really reassessing their options. When it comes to real estate, we've seen some big companies, you know, Duke Energy, uh, Atrium, uh, Wells Fargo sort of consolidate a lot of their office space because I think they're making the calculation that maybe we don't need quite as much as we did before. And so that's sort of rippling um, throughout. You know, we're not building as many office towers. we got two big office towers under construction at the moment. None has been started really almost in the last year. So that's another switch too. You know, we've seen a lot of big office towers in South End and, and sort of the South End side of Uptown. Um, but, you know, we're not seeing as many new ones start as, as we did previously. So when you wrote about the, what you called the disappearance of the office tower, was that primarily in the Uptown region or was it South End as well? Because South End, a lot of people seem to be moving into South End office buildings. They're not office towers per se, but they're, they're filling up. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to brokers, I, I'm sure we've all, all, those of us who do have all heard the term of flight to quality. They talk about this flight to quality, how companies want to be in the newest, shiniest, most modern designed um, offices. And so you do see that. And you have a lot of properties in South End that they can move into. You have the line on Hawkins Street, which is the one, um, you know, by uh, the Sycamore Brewing. Sycamore Brewing is moving into the the ground floor of it. Um, you have the you know, Vantage South End where Lending Tree is, a little bit closer to Moorhead. So you do have a lot of um, you know newer properties in South End. So you're seeing a lot of companies go toward that, but which is great, except what happens is some of the places they're moving from 
our older office buildings, and those aren't necessarily getting backfilled. So, you know, we, we have a lot of vacancy in Uptown, um, you know, in some of these older office buildings. How concerned are people Mike, about that? Oh. Go ahead, Elise. Go ahead. Um, yeah, and I was just to kind of build on that, um, that flight to quality, like Tony said, is definitely something that has been happening uh, a lot since last year, really. Um, and some of those older office towers, still class A buildings, but just um, a little bit older. Um, a lot of them are in uptown. And um, what those building managers have been doing to kind of combat those vacancies um, are, are doing a lot of um, internal renovations to those shared tenant spaces to try to make them more attractive to um, both draw in new tenants, but also keep their current tenants. Um, One Independent Center in Uptown is a really good example of um, a high rise that did this recently on the rotunda in South Park. Both of these um, buildings have had really good leasing momentum over the last, I would say, six to nine months. Um, and, and just talking with the brokers who handle those buildings, they they believe that that type of momentum is going to continue in those buildings, but also in the other buildings that are maybe um, older class A uh, and class B that are doing those those types of renovations to make them more attractive to want tenants to stay. Just to, just to put some numbers to that, Katie, the, vac the vacancy rate is 22.6%, I think, in pre-1990 buildings and 8.8% in the post-1990 office buildings uptown. But there's an additional 7.2 million square feet under construction or has been announced for both uptown and south end. I know that Charlotte Center City Partners is one of the entities that really focuses on uptown and south end development how concerned are they or are others that maybe there's a migration away from uptown to south end and if it happens towards south end will it happen in other areas as well leaving us back to where we were in the 1980s a ghost town uptown i think so their their current um I guess, kind of long-term strategy that Eric Spanberg of CBJ wrote about last week is kind of re-examining what to do with some of these older pre-1990 buildings that you see uptown that are, um, you know, kind of char characteristically, um, like, just the stereotypical office building, you know, cubicles, kind of lower slung ceilings, like 12 feet um, or, or lower, which is really atypical for some of these newer buildings. Um, you know, maybe not as amenity rich as some of the newer South End properties like um, like Banage or The Line. Um, now, to be clear, Center City Partners um, is, is thinking about kind of all of this holistically. Uh, the movement to South End, um, the, the influx of or lack thereof of employers into Uptown. Um, so I think that their plan is to reexamine what to do with some of this space, whether it's help foster uh, renovations long-term or to kickstart some of those conversations, whether it's eventual conversion to residential, that's something that um, many other markets are doing um, in Canada, um, across the, across the, across North America. I know of one example in Minneapolis, for instance, but um, it's not as easy as, as it might sound though. It's a really expensive process. Um, a lot of the qualities that make an office ideal for office sorry, a lot of qualities that make a building ideal for office are not ideal for residential, like, you know, having bathrooms on either side of the floor, for instance. Um, so I think this is going to be a long-term process. I haven't personally spoken with Center City Partners about this yet, but I think it's going to be something to watch as they, um, as, as they kind of work behind the scenes to figure out what to do with some of this space. Elisa, um, go no, ahead. go ahead. 
Oh, at least I want to come back to something that you were talking about a second ago, and that is uh, the, the decreased footprint that some of these uh, businesses are, are working toward. Uh, Duke Energy announced the consolidation and getting out of one of their buildings. The same thing has happened to Wells Fargo. Some of that is internal within the companies that we're talking about. How many other companies are looking at doing this? Because this is not just a Charlotte-centric uh, uh, trend. This is a nationwide trend. What kind of storm clouds are out there? I think that, um, and it, it, it goes back to a lot of these larger companies not really knowing um, quite yet how they're going to bring their their employees back. Um, I know that a lot of these businesses want them back in the office full time, but obviously, you know, hybrid work has become very, very popular. Um, and And one thing that I've noticed is that, um, you know, there is still leasing activity happening even though it's slowed, um, but it's a lot more of the smaller lease sizes. So um, companies are downsizing their footprint, like you just said. We're seeing a lot more leases that are, you know, maybe between 2,500 and 15,000 square feet rather than, um, you know, multiple floor leases or, you know, a, a corporation taking an entire building. Um, and so I, I think we're going to see that trend continue um, and, and there will be a, a lot more consolidation. Gordon, is this and happening it, primarily in Uptown, or is this happening in places like South Park, like Ballantyne, uh, other like uh, around the university area where there are these big office parks, et cetera, where they're downsizing their footprint, leaving a lot of empty spaces available? Well, we can all point back to the announcement with Centene where, you know, we, we learned that they were getting out of their big East Coast headquarters up in the University City area. And I, I recall talking to experts about that you know, pointing to the fact, do companies want to have this more suburban campus, you know, this classic office campus place to, to bring their employees, or do they want to kind of be in more of an urban environment where, you know, you don't just report to your cubicle, you can have restaurants or a coffee shop to go work at. Um, so I think a, the pandemic is definitely informing a lot of how the, the office will look like in the future. So building off of what Elise was talking about earlier with some of these build the older buildings in, in Uptown. Um, I know at One South, they converted the entire, which is right on the, the square in Uptown. Uh, they converted the entire third floor to have this cafe that has windows that open out onto the square. You can sit down, if you're a tenant there, you can sit down um, and order lunch off an app. So it, it, as opposed to being a, an employee who goes into work at 9 a.m., sits down in my cubicle, puts my head down. I think that's a lot of that is going away and companies are trying to figure out what types of offices we want for our employee and, uh, you know, how much space do we actually need? Do we need, you know, the, 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 the giant office floor or can we kind of have a smaller footprint and offer some of these other amenities? If you're in yeah, business. Mike, and it's really a lot more, I would just say, Mike, it's a lot more pronounced in Uptown just because you have so much more office space than any other market. So, you know, any, this is sort of the same trend is playing out everywhere, but it, you just have so, so many big towers and so much office space that I think Uptown is really feeling it. And I think it is a good point to, to mention, you know, that this is a national phenomenon that, you know, if you talk to Charlotte Center City Partners, they will point that out and they will say, you know, actually we're doing in Charlotte a lot better than a lot of other cities are and, and that we're in a good Good but if you're in business, you're always concerned about the bottom line, Gordon, it seems to me, whether you're a big business like Bank of America or you're a small ma and pa. And so uh, since there is a trend away from having a central office, 
are we watching a similar situation where smaller businesses are also requiring less square footage and downsizing and leaving spaces available? Yeah, I mean, I, I learned from uh, One South, which had, uh, again, that building right on a square in, in Uptown. Um, companies that were moving to Charlotte didn't want to have a, you know, a giant, didn't want to have a lease for a giant office floor. You know, they were looking for more of like um, uh, 12,000 square feet to, to house about 30 or 40 employees. So, and and these were places, again, that I think um, the, the, the new building owner, uh, Crescent there, was looking at how do we build a smaller office space uh, for tenants that has, you know, closer, you know, has like a kitchen in there or places where it's not just a cubicle. So yeah, I think you'll be definitely begin to see smaller companies taking up these smaller spaces. So, so Tony, what is think, go ahead, Elise. I also think that it depends on the type of company as well. Um, Camp North End has done really, really <clears> well <throat> in getting these, um, you know, smaller companies that have a, you know, a more collaborative type of, of work environment to lease space there. Um, and, and what I've heard from these business owners is that they've talked to their employees and most of the time, even if they are a hybrid, whether that's one day a week at home, two or three, they want that space where they can go and be together and collaborate uh, on the work that they're doing. So what is this doing to r rental uh, rates, Tony, for office space? Well, it's a little bit difficult to have visibility into that. If you look at the averages, I mean, the numbers, I don't think, you know, are declining that much. On the other hand, you know, you have a lot of new office space that is actually renting at a premium. So on average, I don't really think we're seeing those fall. Uh, they might still even be be rising. But, you know, there's a lot of sort of shifting, on, you know, beneath that. But we're definitely not seeing them tank or fall or anything like that because there is still this demand for some of these higher end brand new uh, office buildings where the rents are still uh, pretty pricey. I want to talk about something else you recently wrote about, Tony, that may or may not be concerning to folks, and that is that you reported uh, that the 27-story Charlotte Plaza building, I is that the, the black uh, structure the, the with the black glass on it? Is that what that is? Yeah, across from uh, the yeah. uh, epicenter, right? I call it the Darth Vader building. The Charlotte Plaza building at 201 uh, South College has defaulted on a $70 million loan, and you say that the Wall Street Journal reports that a number of big office landlords are defaulting. Uh, the number is going up. Although you d they didn't name names, you say that they could be referencing 301 South College, which is Charlotte's fourth largest tower. Talk about these troubles and share with us what else you know about these defaults going on. Yeah, so it's it's probably not surprising, you know, as we're talking about some of these older office buildings that were built in the 1980s, a lot of the tenants have moved out of them in many cases to South End or they're they're consolidating, you know, that, that second property there is, you know, one Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo just announced they're, you know, actually moving all their employees out of there. It's actually been going on for some time. So a lot of these buildings are majority vacant. And so, you know, if if a building is vacant and your tenants are not paying rent, you don't have tenants paying rent, um, you know, it's hard to meet your loan obligations. And so some of the rating agencies, Fitch, uh, for example, came out and said that, um, you know, that, that a couple of these buildings have loans that are coming due and that they're, that one is in default and one another one is at risk of default um, just because, you know, these are older buildings where the, the rent 
isn't coming in. And so you have, in many cases, sort of out-of-state owners of these properties um, that are saying, well, we can't meet these, um, we might not be able to meet these loan obligations. And so, um, you know, that would, you know, that would put those buildings in, in default. They could be sold, given back to the bank, you know, work, it, you know, work out the loan arrangements or, or something like that. And I think what's going to wind up happening is sort of what's already happened, which, you know, I think Elise and Katie were talking about earlier, you're going to have some more, you know, renovations of these spaces, you're going to have some, you know, conversions to other uses and, and find some way to get people into those buildings. Yeah, I want to talk about that, the re, the, this, this reimagining of these spaces when we come back from the break, because the Business Journal, Elise, reports that uh, Charlotte Assistant City Manager Tracy Dotson says her department has begun researching conversion costs and other considerations for tower makeovers. Uh, so that city government can be better prepared to help. I want to talk about that and more when we come back at Charlotte Talks on 90.7 WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. The Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We're talking about uh, the state of business, commercial real estate, residential real estate, and more in Charlotte at the moment. Tony Messier from the Charlotte Ledger, Katie Peralta Soloff from Axios, Charlotte Elise Franco from the Charlotte Business Journal, and Gordon Rego from the Charlotte Observer all with us. I want to come back to this repurposing, reimagining of some of these office towers that the Business Journal wrote about uh, the assistant city manager, Tracy Dotson, saying they've begun researching this at the city level to see where they can help. Uh, how would they become involved? At least do we know? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's not uncommon for the city and the county to, to partner with, with, um, you know, potential developers and, and other organizations to, to try to make things like this happen. Um, and like the story that Eric Spanberg wrote said, you know, she wasn't specific, so I think right now it's just kind of a, a wait and see type situation. But Tony, if they're if the city is thinking about getting involved and investigating how they can help, they must be pretty concerned about this. Would that be accurate? I, mean, I would think so. I mean, you know, you do have in Charlotte Center City Partners. I mean, they do have a taxing district, so they. I mean, right. they have some money. Could you know? The, I think the thinking would be, could they pr provide some sort of a. I mean, the obvious thing would be some sort of a program. I mean, you know, these the owners of these buildings don't need to be told that they need to be full. They're very much motivated to have something happen. I mean, I'm sure I'm just speculating here, but I'm guessing they would if we were to have some sort of a, if the city were to have some sort of an incentive program you know, to renovate these buildings. I, I would guess they would be interested in that. But, you know, it's, it's not news to these building owners that they want. You know, they would like to get people into those buildings. And yet it seems, Katie, that South End is booming with no end in sight. Is that just because of the Lynx Blue Line, uh, which uh, Pat McCrory should be patting himself on the back about because all of the naysayers were saying it was a boondoggle and look what's happened there. Is it because of the Blue Line or is it because younger people want to be in that area and therefore businesses who want them as employees are locating there? Yes. <laughs> all of the above. above. It's... <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's almost like you can predict what new office users in South End are going to say when they talk about what drew them to the area, you know? Um, you're within walking distance of, like, five breweries if you're on one of the main stretches. Uh, you're within walking distance of the Blue Line, even if your employees, um, even if your employees don't necessarily take public transit. 
in fact, we're seeing some of the larger office buildings under construction, like 110 East with, I believe it's like nine floors of parking. So it's not necessarily that employees are always going to be taking the blue line um, because there's a there's a heck of a lot of driving in South End. I think anyone who has sat in traffic on South Boulevard can tell you that. Um, but it's it's almost akin to like, I think like Buckhead or something like that in Atlanta, that's this super just hot area that kind of is is pulling the center of gravity away from what the traditional downtown has been. Um, I, I don't think that this is just a fleeting trend either. I think South End will continue to be this really hot market. Um, you know, maybe maybe construction will start focusing on other pockets of town, but I think it's it's a whole slew of attractions that that draws you know developers and relocating employers to that area so we've been hearing for years now about the decline in the shopping mall and everything going to e-commerce and amazon taking over the world but what is happening in the retail market elise i understand that there is new retail construction uh and, and in fact retail construction appears to be relatively stable yeah and i i can't speak directly to retail. Um, Jennifer Thomas is definitely better um, suited to do that. But I do know that, you know, we are opening new restaurants and bars and breweries and and retailers almost every day here in the city. Um, there are small businesses that are leasing space. Um, they've, you know, Winnie's Boutique, for example, um, is leasing the former Charlotte Collective space in Plaza Midwood. And, um, you know, that, that'll be her first storefront. And, and unfortunately, that Charlotte Collective space closed. Um, they, they couldn't afford the rent anymore, I believe. Um, but it gave another small business here in Charlotte the opportunity to open uh, their first brick and mortar storefront. Um, on the other hand, though, there are a lot of small businesses that have closed uh, in the last year or so. Um, and a lot of those are retail. And I, I do believe that is because rent continues to climb. And I know there's new development uh, coming to Providence Road, Old Providence Road and Sardis Lane, which includes, I think, uh, both the residential and retail on this 115-acre site. I think that's right. And you recently reported, Tony, about renovations again at Burkdale Village. It's my, maybe it's my imagination, but it seems to me they've, they've rethought that place several times. It's happening again. It is kind of interesting to think of Burkdale Village as being kind of old and in need of, you know, being renovated, being renovated, you know, it's really, it's not even, I think, 20 years old. But yes, I mean, there's a different, uh, and a lot of, a lot of us on this panel have written about Burkdale Village, the Business Journal uh, does, does a lot, I know, on, on Burkdale Village. I'm not an expert in Burkdale Village, but, you know, they are sort of doing a lot of different things there. They're, they're putting more sort of um, kind of pop-up, um, they're called jewelry box uh, retail, which is very, you know, small um, little retailers in what used to be sort of open space. I was there actually at Burkdale uh, last fall, walking around on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and they had the you know the Panthers game on a huge screen TV. There were people sitting out watching it, drinking beer. I mean, it was um, it was a little more lively than you think of a you know traditional yeah. kind of suburban mall. Uh, Gordon, we recently heard and spent a lot of time talking last Friday about the purchase for $10.3 million of the building that houses the Neighborhood Theater in Noda, along with the Boudreaux's and Salute, uh, which is a uh, uh, James Beard-nominated uh, restaurant. Uh, this all raised fears of yet another landmark in that area meeting the wrecking ball, but Neighborhood Theater posted on their Facebook page almost immediately, stay calm. 
We've been through this before. We'll be here for a while longer. Do they have real reason to be optimistic about that? It's it's one of those things that uh, unfortunately where it's you know wait and see for now. But I think indications are pointing to this very well located prominent retail block in Noda sticking around. Um, the the businesses that we've heard from, so Neighborhood Theater and Salud, you know, both uh, told us or posted on social media that. You know, we have leases in place. We've gone through new owners over the last several years. You know, our plan is to be here. You know, they they were aware of the sale. Um, but I think if you look around Charlotte, uh, there's the general perception of these older brick buildings that date back to the 1940s, whether they were businesses or or homes being torn down in, in place of new development. You know, that that's something you see and is not uncommon. So I think fears are are valid. But in this case, it's uh, you know, it's such a central location and, and the developer, so I'm sorry, the investor from Nashville that purchased the building has so far said that they want to steward this property into the future and um, keep it as a, a entertainment hub. So we do, will, do long, we do long-term leases protect you or can they be gotten out of by the new buyer? Right. I, I think there's, well, there are certain things like deed restrictions that can speak towards um, you know, redevelopment of a property, uh, whether, you know, a, a, a business can kind of stick stick in their lease um, with, with a new owner. I think that's something that can be negotiated. I, I wrote about a situation in, in West Charlotte with a, a brewery that had a, a, was going for a renewal lease with their new owner, which was a developer, and uh, they're now locked in a pretty nasty lease dispute um, over, over staying in that location. So, um, again, I think we'll have to kind of see how that plays out over the next several months. Because at least a stream realty partners who represents the seller says the new Nashville owners of that complex will maintain the authentic use of neighborhood theater as a storied piece of our city's history. But the buyer, AJ Capital Partners in Nashville, admits it has plans for further enhancements to the property. Have we any idea what those enhancements might include. I don't, you know, I wish I did. Um, AJ did not return any of my calls or emails. Um, I would love to talk to them and, and find out what those plans are because I know that um, people are worried about that property and, yeah. and rightly so. I do agree with Gordon that um, I don't think there will be any immediate plans to level that space. Um, it's, it's such an important block in NOTA. Um, and because it is NOTA, because NOTA, kind of has that, you know, that, that historic kind of funky vibe and, and that fits right in with it. I don't think that, um, that the buyer is going to level it. Um, but you know, I think everybody wants to know what their plans are. And there's another, it also property. comes on the heels of like, in the last couple of years, Charlotte has lost the Manor theater. Um, you know, prices chicken coop, like there are these really long-standing businesses that have either uh, you know, said goodbye for, for kind of personal reasons or because their property has been sold. Um, and sometimes when properties are sold, new new owners do say, you know, we're interested in maintaining the integrity of the neighborhood and keeping its personality, yada, yada, only to see them not do that, you know, and, and to right. see something else happen. Um, when, when Al Mike's building was sold, I think last year, um, people freaked out because that's another staple. And I think, I think that the, um, the anxiety is absolutely justified. Um, it would be 
delightful if these out of town developers who buy story buildings would just answer a couple questions instead of sending like this generic sentence to every news outlet. I feel like that would help to kind of <laughs> ease the blow a little bit, but that's my obvious bias here, speaking as someone who just would ask for a little bit of transparency, but I digress, go ahead. What transparency in Charlotte? Are you mad? Uh, there's another note of property changing hands, Spacecraft, a multifamily developer just acquired at least uh, 2321 North Davidson for $9 million. What's there now? And what are they planning? You know, Spacecraft has been busy in NOTA. Um, they have several multifamily properties that are, well, one that's open um, and several that are under construction. I think that it's probably going to be another apartment complex. Um, and I think right now it is an industrial property, um, but I, I don't quote me on that. I would have to double okay. check. And Gordon, you also uh, reported on a petition to build 26 townhomes in East Charlotte near the Hampshire Hills neighborhood, which is near the plaza. Residents of Hampshire Hills are concerned about this new development's impact to traffic and infrastructure and home values. And this is certainly something that Charlotte continues to struggle with and has been struggling with for years. How do you accommodate the influx of newcomers and new development while not pushing out long-term residents. Does the city view the Hampshire Hills residents' concerns as being valid? I mean, what's the status of that project? So we're still waiting for a full public hearing. Uh, so far, the, the, this particular rezoning petition was gonna go before city council uh, on February 20th, but that got deferred to next month. So. Uh, we'll have to wait and see for for the discussion on this particular rezoning from the from the city uh, before there's any any vote to approve it or not. Uh, but you know, again, I, I uh, the city every month considers upwards of forty to forty five rezoning petitions uh, for everything from you know these townhome projects to office buildings, new apartments, and I frequently and and I'm sure others on the panel have heard. You know the the back and forth on the impacts of these rezonings, um, and you know residents often bring up concerns like traffic, um, and and uh, you know the the impacts to infrastructure. So it, it, it's super interesting to see how a petition, even on a two acre parcel for twenty six townhomes, can speak to these much broader issues. And you know how do you as a city balance? the concerns of an existing neighborhood that's been there since the 1960s with uh, property owners wishes to build 26 townhomes and, and essentially accommodate, um, you know, the influx of, of residents moving here. So Tony, I have a couple minutes left. That's all I got. But there, there, there's been a lot of talk about recession. The economy appears to be good. Employment is high, uh, although so are interest rates and, and inflation appears to be coming down slowly, but there's this talk about recession in the second half of the year. Some of the moves that we're seeing businesses make and home buyers and sellers for that matter, some of their decisions, are they playing it safe until we know exactly where the economy is headed or what it will look like? And can those moves actually cause a recession if we slow down too much? Yeah, you know, I mean, when people are making decisions, I mean, all the economy is is sort of ha uh, some, uh, a combination of individual decisions on how people spend their money and how businesses spend their money. And if there's uncertainty ahead, then you will tend to save 
more and not spend as much. And when you don't spend as much, that's how you sort of get into a, a, a worse economic condition. So yes, the, the, you know, the fear is that some of these problems that we're talking about in real estate start to migrate to other parts of the economy. And we've seen other sections that are a little bit weak. You know, we've seen some layoffs in the tech industry. Um, you know, some of those here in Charlotte, but you know, we're not huge into tech like like other other cities. So yeah, the question is, but you know, to your point, a lot of the spending is still holding up. Consumers are still spending. It was a pretty good you know Christmas um, shopping season, for example. You look at unemployment numbers; they're still low. So there's a lot of there are a lot of good signs, but really, it's more of a fear that these higher interest rates are going to cause what's really sort of now isolated um, slowdown in the real estate sector to migrate to other parts of the economy. Katie, this is a little off the topic, but when the mayor was on the program a couple of weeks ago, we asked her if a conversation had yet begun between Charlotte and Raleigh over the legislature allowing the city to put that 1% sales tax on the ballot in November uh, for uh, building out the uh, uh, Silver Line. The federal infrastructure money is hanging in the balance. Raleigh does not like our transportation plan. And when I asked her about her conversations with Raleigh, she was a little evasive uh, about it. Uh, I think you have a better understanding of the nature of those conversations to date. I have 30 seconds. Fill us in. Yeah, so my colleagues, uh, Alex Sands and Danielle Shemtov, reported on this, and they found that through uh, public records requests and conversations with city council members, that those conversations have yet to really take place in a robust way, um, which is quite concerning because time is of the essence uh, when asking for Raleigh's uh, green light to get this sales tax on the ballot. We're competing with other cities and the clock is ticking. So the time for talking is now. Katie Peralta Soloff from Axios, Charlotte Elise Franco from the Charlotte Business Journal, Gordon Rago from the Charlotte Observer, and Tony Macio from the Charlotte Ledger. Thank you all for the hour. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.